Hello, everyone, and welcome to From Survivor to Thriver, episode 66. You know, sometimes I go on this like numerological discussion or some other thing about the number, um, but today is really easy for me because uh, as Eric has alluded to, I love to drive, I love to drive too fast, and any American who loves cars has to talk about Route 66. And so um, that uh, this episode and that number means a lot to me. Um, some of my early travels were road trips. I've driven across the country more times than I can actually probably count. I mean, if I really drilled it down, I could. Um, Eric had the fortunate slash unfortunate uh, time of joining me when we drove my dad's ashes uh, back home for his service, uh, which the only unfortunate part about it was the weather, just to be honest. We had a great time. Um, and manage no infractions and no tangles with the law, which is which is good for me. But this is Mark Fernandes. And as I just mentioned, my co-host, Eric DeRosa, joining us from our usual spots from across the creek. Eric, how are we today? Good to see you, Mark. Yes, that was uh, quite the fun trip. Uh, it came up in my Facebook memory about a month ago. It was April of 2018, if I remember yep, correctly. Four years ago. And, and uh, yes, I... I got to drive the car a couple of times. Uh, I know it's one of your favorite things to do, but you did they need to take a cat nap. And, uh, and so it was fun driving. The, the weather did come in at one point. I think we were up near Buffalo. We were headed towards like Buffalo, right? We went, we, yeah, Lake Placid to- Everything went to shit when we hit yeah. Northern New York. Nothing yeah. against Northern New York. It's nope. beautiful. I like it up there. Nope. But that's, but that's when the shit hit the fan. And as we found out, nobody up there really seemed to know who Brendan Doran was. So no. Brendan, Brendan, if, if you're, you're listening, listening, nobody knows who you are. But that was that was a fun trip. And everything is good on my end. Uh, I've been up since the wee hours this morning working. I know you alluded to uh, having a very hectic last 36 hours, which I think includes getting back from Arizona and, uh, and a busy week ahead. I'm off to... Uh, slowly race my mountain bike this weekend with the sacred cycle team down in southern uh, Colorado which will be a lot of fun uh, but before I introduce today's guest how are you I'm good I'm good I'm actually um I'm great it's just it was a super hectic day I as often happens at the end of the winter for me like my to-do list of like personal things or things that I have to get done is insane and I'm trying to cram it all in. And then, you know, a technical difficulty here. I'm, I'm going to blame Apple. I'm pretty sure that my latest software update is screwing with my iPad. And I, but I'm going to take some responsibility for it. I actually have all of the equipment here to set up to record through my laptop. And I just haven't had a chance to do it yet. So I soon won't even be using the iPad. So screw you, Apple. I'm moving on. <laughs> Well, with that, uh, <laughs> joining us today is Caddy Dorigi. She is an entrepreneur, author, and facilitator. Her memoir, The Butterfly Years, A Journey Through Grief Toward Hope, details her personal journey through grief. Caddy hopes to inspire others to work through their grief and find hope on the other side. She is also the president of Artisan Creative, a staffing and recruiting agency focused on digital, creative, and marketing talent and based in Los Angeles. So let's welcome in from sunny Los Angeles, Caddy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Eric and Mark. Actually, I'm not that far from the, the pier, Santa Monica Pier, the end of Route 66. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. So right here. I worked right close to there. I actually cooked at Sony Music Studios. I don't even know if it's still there, um, but there wow. used to be a Sony Music Studios right at the end. Um, it wasn't quite on the pier. It was two blocks off the water in Santa Monica, um, but that was 20 years ago. 20, yeah, I don't years, think it's there ago. anymore, uh, but, but yeah. it's, not, it's not too far. Uh, yeah. It's moved a little bit more. And believe it or believe it or not, this kid has never been on Route 66. Really? Nope. Are you sure? I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Because there, there are spots of it. And that's the thing. It's not, it was, you know, the first continuous east-west highway. Um, and it's not anymore, but there are portions of it that you actually yeah. end up on without realizing it. So 
you and I'll sit down with a map and we'll double check, but um, portions of Arizona, California, um, it actually runs right through downtown Chicago. Um, so there's a chance you've actually been on it and not been aware of it. We'll I see. was south of Chicago on I-70 when we drove out from New York. And I you've have not, not been to Chicago any other time? I have been to Chicago, but only flown and oh, not right. driven. And as you're probably aware, Mark, I have not driven past Grand Junction myself. <laughs> I have with you when we've gone yes. to Utah, but it's always <laughs> been via flight. So yes, I'm pretty sure I've never been on Route 66. We're going to have to check it out. You might have been because it's the only reason why I actually say that is I've talked to other people that said that. And then like we went through like their travels or places you've been. And I'm like, yep, right there. You were on it. So we'll have to check. <laughs> if not, I you think are. you guys have another road trip in the future. Oh, absolutely. I'll take any excuse <laughs> to do that, especially I'm, a, I'm about to get the convertible fixed and back on the road. Uh, and the oh, Alpha has not been on Route 66 yet. So that can be remedied. Oh, you have well, an Alpha. My husband has an Alpha. He does? Uh, one of the newer ones or an old one? Yeah. Uh, no, it's 1966 one, a duetto. Yeah, so a 1966 duetto. number. <laughs> and so, yeah, Another that'd be a Spider duetto. See? Yep. And that'd be a Spider duetto 1600. Yeah. Beautiful cars. Uh, they refer to them as boat tails because the back end is like perfectly rounded. Um, I have an 87 of the same. I have a Spider. Uh, so it's a two liter. So, um, and a little more modern, but not that modern. Alpha, Alpha didn't like to change things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I don't drive this thing because, you know, God forbid I hit something or <laughs> scratch the car with it, you know. They are impossible to hits. find. They're <laughs> impossible to find parts for and very difficult to find people to work on. So um, that's uh, protective. Yes, I understand. But I'd, I'd still let you drive it. I would. I would. <laughs> No, no, you can. Ask. <laughs> She's like, no. <laughs> She's like, I'm not it. <laughs> and grieve, and we can grieve for it later if anything happens. Right. Pretty, pretty good jumping off point. Nice well, that's what I was thinking. And it's funny that we were sharing driving back um, after my dad passed because that actually sort of set me off into my more recent sort of mental health journey of mm. of me trying to deal with grief and, and a lot of different things. And so I, I, I would love to hear where that started for you. How did you end up in a spot where you realized you had to process grief and, and move on from something? Because many people, you know, we all know grief happens, but until you're in the throes of it, I don't think people understand all the steps of it and how different or how long that journey can be for different people for different reasons. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, no matter how much time goes by, something happens, something triggers a memory or something and you're back and <laughs> right where you started, maybe, maybe not in it as long of a duration as when it first happened, but it's certainly, gosh, it triggers you right back. So mine started, well, the, the deaths happened in 2011, uh, but it started long before my mom had lung cancer. And I think I started grieving before she passed, kind of just in the expectation of what was going to be happening and what was going to be coming. Um, but it certainly just hit me uh, like a big tidal wave in 2011. So I lost my stepmom in January of 2011, my dad in February of 2011, and then my mom in, Mar in April of 2011. So it was a pretty tumultuous few months. And then that was compounded by two more deaths in 2013 and another death in 2015. So during those four years, I wasn't quite even sure what, you know, what was up. Uh, I was just like, just involved in the whole thing. And once it settled, I mean, not that I ever got over it, but once I could kind of just look at it a little bit more objectively from a distance. I noticed some patterns in myself. I noticed behaviors in myself. I noticed how I was getting triggered. I noticed, you know, and I noticed some self-help tools that had got, gotten me out of it. And that's what led to writing of the book because I wanted to share it with other people and kind of help them on their journey. Um, so my goal was to create some sort of a health self-help journal. Um, but before I could do that, the memoir 
just kind of, it, it wouldn't let me do the journal before, you know, before the stories of my parents came out. So I did the, I wrote the book first. And then once that was published, I set my sight on creating this journal to just help people through this journey. You know, it's a, it's a journey, as you know. And I was going to, yeah, I was going to say, um, you know, mental health and, and everything that's related and under that umbrella, we always mm-hmm. talk about it's a journey, but also it's a non-linear journey. And for, sure. and for our audience who might be familiar with the five stages of grief, if they're not, it'd be great if you could just kind of walk, walk them through that real quickly. But I think the other important thing, and, and I've noticed this in my own life, Mark and I have talked about it uh, around his dad, is often when it comes to grief, even though there are five stages, those stages themselves are not linear. And the order in which it happens and the timing in which it happens is often not linear. So I'd, I'd love to kind of hear your, your take on that as well. Um, yeah, and it, it's interesting. I've read quite a bit on Elizabeth Kubler-Ross who came up or who had initially written about the five stages. And I'm not sure if she intended for them to have been interpreted the way they did, because certainly mine wasn't linear and mine were not five stages. I think there must have been like 50,000 stages. (laughs) And certainly there was no order to it. I I wish that there was, because then I could have said, okay, at the end is acceptance and then period, and then you move on. And that's certainly not the case. Um, So I'm going to- I'm sure, I'm sure she's caught in the same um, sort of trap that, um, Abraham Maslow, Maslow spoke of later in his career, where he was like, I just wish I hadn't in any way left open the interpretation that you travel this in one direction. And then, you know, and for people that don't know, we're talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs yeah. and that you move through it. And I'm sure if we could speak with Elizabeth, she'd be like, no, no, no that's not what I meant. I meant exactly. there are stages and maybe you have to, and, and I'll be honest, for me, you know, just my own personal journey, and it sounds like in some ways it yours may have mirrored this, you know, because your mom had been ill and, you know, my dad had been ill, not for a long extended period of time, but he was very sick and we had a few weeks to sort of come to terms with that. So I was probably pretty accepting of the loss mm-hmm. early on, mm-hmm. but I, <laughs> without any like aspersions to like trying to make it sound prettier than it was the anger (laughs) and uh for sure the depression lasted right Mm -hmm. and 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 i don't you know and and thinking about it more of a continuum versus like phases and stages um you know and 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 sure i'm I'm sure it's you know sort of relying on someone's own personality you know and anger feels very natural to me so it was very easy for me to revisit Mm No, I agree. I, I was angry too. My, my mom, she smoked. So mm-hmm. that, that added to the anger and a very um, unfair anger on my part. Now I can say that when I was in the thick of things, I really couldn't separate the two. I couldn't separate the illness and the smoking. And then that just, it, it got us into a, not a healthy place which is the last thing I wanted to do as I knew her time was limited, right? It's, um, so with, with that, a lot of judgment, self-judgment came into play and then angry at myself for behaving a particular way with her. And that just compounded what the, the sadness was. It was sadness at, at its core. And then like all these different ice cream scoops, there were like all these other scoops on top of, and it just felt so heavy. Just the burden felt so heavy. So, you, you know, you talk about anger. I know Mark talks about anger. I'm curious, when it comes to grief, do people tend to, I'm going to use the word navigate or migrate here just for simplicity, but do they tend to migrate um, to, the, to the first thing that is often their default uh, reaction? So if people tend to get angry, do they typically get angry with grief or if somebody gets sad, is that where they tend to go or does it depend on circumstances? And Yeah, that's a pretty good question. I don't know the answer to that. Uh, I, 
I'd be, I think it'd be interesting to ask that question of a psychologist or somebody who does like personality assessments to see what the first, I, I know how it ends up being in other situations um, where if you're, you know, if your disposition is towards positivity, the first thing, whenever you're, you come across a particular situation, the, how you handle it is through that lens. Um, so I've done plenty of personality assessments. Um, so my strengths finders is responsibility. My number one is responsibility. So I could certainly see coming at it from a responsibility standpoint where I just took the ownership of, I had to do everything. Uh, I didn't, you know, my stepfather was there, my brother was there and they were incredible support. And, but just what I took upon myself was I felt responsible. And it's now that I think about it, you know, what made me be able to deal with the grief was the sense of responsibility that I was living and they weren't and that I had to live for them. So like one of the things that helped me through this process was this concept of post-traumatic growth, um, which basically it says people who've gone through a trauma, you, you, you probably have heard of this before, but basically in brief, it says people who've gone through the trauma, take it upon themselves to, you know, to live life to the fullest or to do something in the memory of the person that they've lost. And what I did was that I said yes to everything. I took on responsibility in my business. I took responsibility. I traveled everywhere. I mean, if you asked me a favor, it was a yes, I'm going to do it. If you asked me to go somewhere, it was yes, I'm going to do it. I just felt this responsibility that, you know what, not only is my life short, life is short, it's sweet, but it's short but that all these other people who've passed can't live anymore. So I got to say yes on their behalf too, which is a very strange way of handling it. But it was a big support for me to know that I was doing it for other people and not just for myself. That doesn't so, sound very sustainable though. No, it's not. And it's exhausting. <laughs> yeah, it, it's exhausting. And uh, This is coming know, from I, someone who's not very good at saying no and is essentially right? trying to learn to do it and mm -hmm. it and and full disclosure i still suck at it <laughs> yeah the, the thing the good thing is that they th those others those others up there they weren't asking me i was just saying yes on my own um and yeah. for for a long time i thrived at that it was this uncanny energy that came from somewhere and i don't know where i can't i i wish i could sometimes tap into it because it was just like you know like the energizer bunny um yeah distraction was, yeah, distraction is a powerful aphrodisiac oh for sure <laughs> yeah and i was gonna say it sounds very much like somebody who's you know a very strong empath and and also right the part of it is suddenly all the boundaries fall away. Uh, and, you know, you know, I know for, for me, you know, as part of that, like grieving process uh, is carrying like the guilt, right? And then as, as part of the guilt, it's, well, I'm going to try to do all these other things yes. that will make me feel better about the one thing, which logically I know I couldn't have controlled, um, but it gives me that sense of control. Yeah, for sure. And absolutely the denial piece of it too. Let me see how busy I can keep myself so I don't have to think about what's going on. Yeah. And that's, I think, an interesting uh, kind of segue into this whole idea of Mark brought up distraction. He mm -hmm. and I are very good at sometimes doing things out of distraction, uh, which is not at all a healthy practice. Um, but I think a big piece that, that you talk about in grief that most people don't really recognize is the importance of self-care mm -hmm. um, and the importance of being non-judgmental. Mm -hmm. so yeah. It took a while not to be judgmental. I was very, I was very judgmental at every phase of it in the beginning. Um, there's a, there's a story in the book that I talk about uh, going to a Zumba class and uh, I saw an ad for a, an exercise class. I signed up and I went and I don't know if you guys are familiar with Zumba, but it's, oh, just, yes. it's 
it's fun, it's Latin, it's loud, it's dancing. And I remember standing in the middle of that dance floor thinking, should I be here? Like, are, you know, is there judgment coming from the heavens because I'm dancing six months into this, this tremendous loss when the, the, the first three had passed. But I was feeling good when I danced, right? The endorphins were kicking in, the, the, the happy hormones were kicking in, but I was dancing with so much self-judgment, which is just so unhealthy to do, right? Um, but I think at some point, the, the good feelings, the happy feelings overtook the, the judgment. And I came to a conclusion that, you know what, in order for me to go on, I'm going back to my earlier story. I was dancing for them too, because they couldn't dance anymore. So it's just this, I had to talk myself through coming out of the darkness. It felt so dark for such a long time. And I didn't even know that I was depressed. Well, and that's, I was going to ask, so listening to you, you have this incredible understanding and mm -hmm. self-awareness now, but listening to you tell the stories it sounds very similar to many people, including myself, when going through grief of like, well, yeah, of course this hurts. Of course I'm unhappy. Like, yeah. I lost people I loved. But then, you know, you step one step further away from it. And luckily, I had loved ones around me that were like, great, you're grieving. But there's all this other stuff going on mm -hmm. that doesn't seem right, that you don't seem to be taking the right care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and hearing that story of like, you're literally like, what, taking 40 minutes out of your day to, to do something that's not only feels good, but it's also really healthy, a great thing mm -hmm. for you to be doing. And you're like, well, maybe I shouldn't be doing this and judging yourself from yeah. the inside. Well, literally everyone around you is probably like, look, Caddy looks happy. That's great. She should do that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so how did you start to sort of sort that out or realize there were other steps or more steps you had to take to take better care of yourself? Yeah. So when I was in it, and you're so right, you don't realize it when you're in it. So when I was in it, it just, it felt as if I was just doing what I could just to take one step forward every day. And it wasn't until about, I would say six, seven months into it, where my little nieces and nephews came to visit me. They'd lived overseas and they had come to visit. And just pretending for them obviously the last thing I wanted for them to have come visit me sitting there crying all the time so because of their their childhood innocence their their awe of life I don't know what it was but just watching them and kind of putting myself in their shoes and together with them they really helped me come out of the come out of this because it, they gave me some tools to kind of realize how awe-inspiring life is you know, you know how kids, when they, they see something for the first time and like their eyes just open up and they, they truly are seeing it for the first time. Yes. I think they taught me, they taught me to relook at life that way. And, and, that, and that's beautiful. a really, yeah, that's, and that's a really important piece that you bring up is I think many of us who have gone through grief and periods of grief tend to you know, self-isolate. Mm -hmm. We don't, we don't want to burden other people. Uh, it's, we, you're right. There's that, that sense of like, I don't want anybody else to have to, you know, take care of me. But what you talk about, which is so wonderful in, and Mark and I talk about it in the mental health space in general is the importance of community oh, and sure. how, and, and so if you could talk about, to that a little bit about how and why it's so important to reach out to others even during kind of a, during a grieving process and how it isn't a burden for those around you. Yeah, actually it's, uh, the, the, I'm glad you brought it up because even in my, in the journal that I created, there's a little section that says today I reached out to whomever. Uh, and even if it's, you know what, I got out of my pajamas so I could go meet somebody for a cup of coffee and just change my environment. That is so important to be able to recognize that. Uh, so community is huge. A community that, well, I can't say community that understands because people don't really understand um, unless if they've gone through it as, as the two of you have. But community that just allows you to be, you know, and not necessarily push you push you to get to whatever stage they feel you need to get to. I think that's the important thing. So for whomever's listening out there, sometimes people just don't know what to say and that's okay. And you're just, just to be with someone. And it's funny how 
sometimes I think in our in our goal of making somebody feel better, we say things that actually make us feel even worse, you know. But to be to be just empathetic with someone it just means to be in their shoes we don't have to sugarcoat it we don't have to put a little bow at the end of it and it's hard for people it's hard. people don't necessarily want to see themselves in that situation so they try to you know at least you know she lived a good life or at least you know you were with her on that last day or at least like you know it's, no just be with people just just be with people. You don't have to say anything. There's so much power and empathy and, and, and I'm going to say silent presence. You don't have to be quiet necessarily, but yeah, no. And, and I think that's one of the hardest things for people who haven't necessarily been through that kind of grief is to understand that those things, although they may on the outset be something you can take solace from, it doesn't necessarily soothe or make you feel any better in that moment, right? Like, it's like, yeah, I was there. You know, I, unfortunately, I've been present a couple of times to watch someone take their last breath. And as beautiful and as important of an experience as it is for that person and for you, it's it's not something I necessarily want to reflect on. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, and and I think that's so hard for people to understand. And, you know, no matter you know, no matter the, I mean, look, it's one of the perfect things, you know, there's this, there's a section of thing that goes around on the uh, internet all the time about vets. And it's supposedly written from a vet saying, please, you know, stay with your pet. If, if, you know, if they are being euthanized, because, you know, you're, you're their person. And, you know, I think about how many times that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, it's tremendously hard on the person who lives, right? Whether there's, a true feeling of survivor's guilt or whatever there is, but it's not necessarily a moment that you want, you look back on and you're like, I'm really glad I was there. It's not for you. You know, it's for that person or that entity, that, you know, creature, we'll use creature because mm-hmm. it can be really hard. And, and, you know, Eric just recently went through the loss of a very long time pet and, and yeah, it was very important for him and Amy to be there. Um, with Lincoln, but that, you know, it's not like, oh, I feel better because I did that. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you you might feel better in some ways because you feel like you fulfilled your role as a person. And that's leading me to my question. All that I talked for too long. But you know, I think one of the things that I certainly struggled with um in my grief is this understanding of of what, you know, and you sort of spoke to it, which is why I want to ask the question, you know. When you're still here, so to speak, you know, who do you live for? You don't, you know, you, you even spoke to like having to live because you're here and they're not. Well, how do you sort of turn the attention back on you so you're not sort of making those choices to live in a way or to do all the things that you think might make others happy versus turning that lens sort of inward and being like, how do I heal and how do I make myself happy? Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Yeah, I'm not sure if we heal. I think we learn how to live with it, but I don't know if there's a healing at the end of it um, per se, because it does keep coming back. Like uh, we were saying in the beginning of the the call, it's very circular. You know, it's something, a memory or you smell something and it just takes you right back to, to that moment or it takes you back to that person. So it does continually come back up. And I would say, you know, I still feel that I still feel that responsibility and not to the intensity that I was before, but I see these little signs all over and they just remind me, they just remind me of, of the people who've passed. So it's, oh my gosh, look how cute. <laughs> so, sorry. He was very upset with something. I, he was. <laughs> so for those of you that aren't watching and are listening, um, our favorite feather you know, feathery hairy guy here, Chewy, has just made his appearance. <laughs> you know, and I love what you say about that of like, and I guess, I guess I'm using the word healing in a bit of a broader sense, right? Because mm-hmm. even even a cut heals, but it leaves a scar, right? It's never yeah. gone. And, and I think, and maybe this is my own sort of personal bias, like I feel like I'm in a place with some of the loss I've had in my life where 
those moments, which absolutely still happen. And I love that you brought up smells because mm-hmm. I, I find smell one of the most powerful sort of um, influencers of, of those kinds of memories. Um, but I feel like they don't take over anymore. And I guess right. that's what I mean by healed. Like, um, and one of the biggest moments for me where I was like, oh, I'm coming on to the sort of the other side of this is I actually, even if I shed a tear or, you know, my heart breaks a little bit in that moment, it's actually enjoyable. Like I, it's more, I, I feel weird even saying it, but so I'm glad you're nodding over there, <laughs> but I, I have, you know, I'll have that moment, you know, whether it's a song that comes on or a smell or something. And, and I, I do take some joy and, and, and feel love in that moment versus the anger, the depression, the denial, um, you know, and those other things. And I think that's part of uh, the acceptance piece. And that's why acceptance isn't just at the end, right? It happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with you hundred percent. And I actually also enjoy those moments that they come back. I would never, ever want to forget. You know, I think that that was one of the reasons why I wrote the book initially is I, one, I didn't want to forget. And two, before writing the book, the only thing I remembered was the illness. And the book kind of forced me to go back to childhood and go back to a different relationship prior to the illness. And that was very cathartic. So I think, you know, we're talking about healing and kind of just getting to another place outside of judgment and outside of the guilt and the anger that allowed me to get to that place of just remembering the love and just remembering the the brilliant people that, you know, were there, not just the patients that was what I was remembering in the beginning. So yeah, huge, huge, huge opportunity to remember with a smile, even though there's a tear or two kind of all mixed in there. It's so important that you say that because I think what often happens and, and thank you, Mark, for, for bringing up Lincoln. And I, I think the period right up on, right up until that loss, mm-hmm. um, seems to be it's the shortest it's right if you think about somebody's illness let's say they're 70 years old and they're they're sick for six months or 12 months it's a short period of time but it feels like such a long period of time that you're Mm -hmm. with with that person and helping that person in your case you know grieving even before that person had passed away that it seems to dominate and I know with 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 us, it then takes us a bit of time. Uh, and we've gone through this now with, with pets and, and loved ones. And it takes time to then be able to think back on that much longer time period of all the happiness and all the great mm-hmm. memories and all the joy. Um, but over time, that's what then dominates. And the, that, that time of sickness or, or the immediate loss. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, talking about the scar mark that's when the the scar tends to to form um is when the happy memories start to to rear their head yeah and actually i use the scar uh, analogy in in the book as well you know like in the beginning it's just this raw oozing thing you know injury this you know this cut uh, but it does scab over and it it but every time you run your hand on the scar you know, there's this phantom pain that you do remember, right? And it, it, when you run your hand on the scar, it does take you back to that moment briefly. And I think the, the recovery from that moment ends up being faster over time. You know, yep. in the beginning, we dwell in it for a much, much longer time. And then now, you know, and for me, it's been 11 years. So it's a long, long time. But you know, my mom also passed away in April, which sounds like, Mark, that's when your dad passed away as well. So spring happens, that date comes around, just automatically I feel this darkness over me. Um, but then I've had these rituals, I go to the beach, I take flowers, I, you know, just, I, as I'm sure everybody does, kind of just, we build our own little rituals through that loss and that day. I can snap out of it faster because maybe I have these processes now that I've built for myself. The other well, thing I wanted, oh, I'm sorry, Mark. No, I mean, just to add, so um, we actually lost my dad four years ago. So uh, the trip that Eric and I were referencing, um, my dad passed in February, the trip okay. was in April. Okay. Um, and so it's been four years, but it's still, and 
And I love how you speak to that of like, there are those moments, right? Where it just sort of reappears or doesn't reappear. And um, I, and, and I'm sorry to interrupt Eric, but I, it actually reminded me, and it's funny because I'm not very religious, but Khalil Gibran was a Lebanese poet, writer, very religious. And when you, one of the things you said made me think about this. And so I just looked this quote up and, and it is spot on. And it says, when you are sorrowful, look again in your heart and you shall see that in the truth, you are weeping for that, which has been your delight. Mm-hmm. And I remembered that. I was, I was like, I remember that. And it's that juxtaposition, mm-hmm. right? Like everyone talks about yin and yang. Like, you know, you can't have true joy unless you've had true sadness. And, and, and it sounds trite to me at times. It sounds oversimplified, but it really is so true. Like you mm-hmm. have to allow yourself those times. And like, if it feels like that, let it feel like that. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think, you know, even your story about that Zumba class and like that, you know, that judgment on it. And it's like, wait, like take a step back. Like, let, like you would never allow someone you cared about to treat themselves that way in their head yeah. if you knew, right? Yeah. <laughs> so For why sure. would you do it to yourself? <laughs> Sorry, Art, go ahead. No, no, no. That, and I love that. I love what you were just saying. And I had that poem and the whole yin yang, because I, for a lot of us who have been down the road of, you know, mental illness and grief and all these things, uh, sometimes you don't even know what real joy is, mm-hmm. right? You think you may know what joy is, but you don't really have the bookmarks to be able to say, this is real joy until you've felt real, real deep sadness or vice versa. Some people may think, well, I'm sad. Um, and there's a difference between just being sad and then a real deep grieving for someone, um, unless you've really experienced true joy. The, what, what I wanted to, to talk about a little bit, Caddy, is this idea we've, we've been talking about grief as it relates to people. Uh, but I know there's also grief related to, you know, if we think about COVID, people mm-hmm. I know are experiencing COVID-related grief and not being able to see um, friends and family and loved ones and, and be able to do the same thing things that they have always done in their life. There's grieving the loss of a job. Uh, mm-hmm. There's there's all sorts of grieving outside of what we, we typically think of related to a person or a pet or, or a living thing. Uh, so if you could just speak to that a little bit and, and um, what some of those signs and symptoms, especially for people who may be going through it in the wake of COVID uh, might be feeling. Yeah, I mean, definitely, you're 100% right that there's loss of job, loss of a relationship, loss of a friendship, like all of those take take one down the grieving path. I mean, my perspective and my experience was in the, the loss of a loved one. Uh, but I talk about hope quite a bit, and, and I'm a pretty hopeful person. And I think that the, one of the characteristics of a hopeful person is this notion that, you know what, I will stumble and fall, but I will get up again. And I think when we're talking about loss of a job, loss of a relationship, those things that there is a possibility for it to come back. You know, when we're talking about the death of a loved one or death of a pet, they're not coming back. So we make our own rituals with honoring them continuously, but to, to really be able to hold on to hope versus holding on to fear or anger or guilt or whatever that other, the negative emotion is on the other side of it, to recognize that the opportunity for another relationship is there. The opportunity for another job is there, for the opportunity to create a new, another business is there. We just have to get through this tangled weave of whatever stories we're telling ourselves and come out on the other side. So I think the hope piece of it is just such an important piece to be able to hold on to. Um, yeah, no, I love the hope piece. I also love, and I think it's so important is, and I've had this experience in my career, I think the initial shock sometimes uh, can be overwhelming and it, we suddenly go into that victim mode of mm-hmm. why me, what did I do? How could I, uh, and, and, but also we don't, often give ourselves that chance to grieve. And we often 
too quickly want to move into the problem solving mode when maybe sometimes what we need is to have that period of of grieving and acceptance before we can move on to really think about what the next best thing is going to be. Yeah, for sure. And also, I think it's important to you know, recognize when something like that happens, you know, how, like, what am I feeling towards that? Like I lost my, you know, I'm in the recruitment space. That's what artisan creative does. So unfortunately we, we, you know, we are talking to a lot of people who, uh, you know, lose their jobs and come to us to help them find something else. So I think it's important to recognize and really pinpoint the feelings of having lost the job. Not just, yes, the losing of the job is a big shock, but what is it making me feel? Like, am I feeling panicked because now I don't have money to put on the table? Do I feel rejection because they didn't keep me and they kept everybody else that I had started with? Like, what's the core emotion and how is that supporting or detracting from my values? I think that's a very important piece to be able to look at as well. Sometimes jobs are not aligned with our values, but we're in it because we're in it. We're in it for the paycheck. And I think that's what COVID has shown us. And that's what the whole great resignation has been all about. There's people really evaluating what they're doing and kind of trying to figure out, is this aligned with what I want to be doing for the next X amount of years? Is this al- aligned with my values? And I think a lot of people are questioning that. Do you think it's easier to talk about grief in the simpler terms of, you know, the loss of a loved one or a pet versus, you know, because we lose things all the time, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and, and I don't mean like your keys, <laughs> um, uh, although that happens too. But, you know, I think about, you know, whether it's jobs, friendships, you know, whether or not the person dies, right? Like you think about, even an amicable divorce where, you know, both parties are like, you know what, we're better off apart. We're still friends. Mm-hmm. There's still a grief element to that. And, you know, and, oh, yeah. and I'm just wondering what you, you know, what you think or how you coach or think about those situations sort of the same or differently, depending on that. I think of it as the same thing. Okay. Yeah. I think the biggest lesson that I've learned is that everybody grieves on their own and whatever their internal manifestation of that grief is it's their it's their fingerprint and just because i grieved differently doesn't mean i did it right and you did it wrong or vice versa we all go through it differently some of us have a bigger outward showing of that grief some of us keep it all inside some of us deal with it on our own some of us self-medicate some of us need a support group but we all go through it differently. And I think that's been the biggest lesson for myself is the judgment piece, not to judge myself, not to judge another person and how they're going through their grief process because it's very unique to them. And regardless of whether it's a divorce or a bankruptcy or a friendship, or we got to mourn that loss somehow. And I think it's interesting too, because we don't, we don't necessarily grieve similarly to our normal personality profile um and obviously it's easiest for me to speak from my own experience but i'm very extroverted i wear my emotions on my sleeve um but that, that is certainly not how i grieved my mm. dad's death and part of it was you know you talked about this idea of responsibility um i had that you know like i was the responsible party so to speak you know um trying to be strong for my mom and other members of the family and trying to do that. And when you think about that, you know, what, what do you think are some ways to help people? Cause look, those responsibilities don't go away, right? The bills have to be paid. You know, the things have to be put away, boxed, cleaned up. Houses might have to be sold. All that crap has to happen. You know, what, what do you think about or how, how did you best handle it for yourself? And, and, you know, what sort of advice might we share with others and how to best balance that for themselves? Sure. Um, I'll answer that in a minute, but uh, I just want to finish the, the previous uh, oh, sorry. thought. No, uh, it came to me as after we started talking about this other thing. Uh, <laughs> the, 
so the grieving piece of regarding what was lost i think yeah. everybody owns that and there should be no judgment there for that person um where the difference is is that one is a finite thing and the other one there's there's possibilities of it not being right so i think that that's in there lies the bigger difference um if somebody's lost their job and somebody's lost their spouse we can't equate them to each other. We're not comparing apples to, you know, oranges here, right? But that person who's lost their job, their grief is authentic to them and it's true to them. I just don't want to compare their grief to somebody else's grief. No, and actually my right. question, and, and, and I can see why you wanted to bring that up and came back to it, but my question was more about the process of the grief. Oh, versus, I see. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I don't think your answer was incomplete, but I do think that's a very important thing to make note of. Yes, I am not equating a divorce with the loss of a job or the loss of a mother, brother, sister. Mm -hmm. I, that's not what I meant, but it was more about the process of grief and, and you know, whether you go through the same stages and things like that. So mm -hmm. your your answer was actually spot on, but I totally okay. understand the sensitivity to be like, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Like, you know, if you got into a car accident, you really love that car and everyone is okay, that you're grieving the car. That's different than if somebody had actually died in that accident. So yeah. that's an yeah. important distinction. Very true. Very true. Yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Very much so. Um, and it actually kind of leads to my question of like, so here you are in the throes of grief, whatever it is, how do you then sort of balance your responsibilities uh, of the, you know, the classic, the bills have to get paid, things have to get done versus giving yourself time to have the self-care, to give yourself mm -hmm. time to grieve, to actually go through the process and allow yourself that. Because let me tell you this from experience, if you don't give yourself the time, it will show up in ways that are not positive and mm -hmm. when you're not ready for it, and then you're going to have to deal with it anyway. So exactly, let's exactly. get ahead of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think that one thing that I didn't do that I recommend to everybody now because I wish I had known about it then, but I was too much in the thick of things is this idea of going back to community, this idea of having some sort of a support group to go to. There are so many support groups out there for people who are um, going through loss, even for people who are dealing with the illness of a loved one prior to the loss that I wish I'd known about and I didn't. So for me, it was very much a personal singular journey. Although I have loved ones, you know, my, my husband, my siblings, but they're all going through it too, right? So it's this, you know, we, we want to be there for each other, but then there's those moments that you go lock yourself up in the bathroom or in the shower and you're just cr crying your eyes out because nobody else can hear it. Um, but to, to go back to this idea of community and the, this idea of support is there, we just have to have the strength to reach out for it what really helped me tremendously was writing um, I really felt that there was a lot of things that I didn't get a chance to say and writing it was you know very cathartic to be able to finish some of those conversations that I had left unfinished and the judgment and the guilt and the apologies and like all of those things that I felt I needed to say so my recommendation to everybody is just, just write. If you don't, if you can't write, talk into your voice memo on the, you know, on your phone, but just get it out of your head and get it out of your heart. Um, people may not be ready to receive it yet, but someone is. So just, just record it, just get it out there. So that was the biggest lesson. And that's the biggest thing that I can share to everyone is talk to someone, talk to your phone, talk to your dog. Oh my gosh, my cats were huge support <laughs> well and i and i think the important message you you of all of that is whatever it is get it out and mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how it's received or who it's received by or if it's received at all because it's not for them it's for you exactly exactly and i think that's really important but speaking about it not being for you being for others where can people find your books and find you thank you so my book and my journal are on uh, butterfly butterflyyears.com and if they want to reach out to me directly is katydaragi.com and artisan creative if anyone's looking for work artisancreative.com well and we'll make sure to put links to all of that stuff um eric's you. great at making sure that happens and um i just 
and it's not just because of this, but as someone who's obviously dealt with a pretty heavy dose of grief just a few years ago, I find your message incredibly important and loving. And the fact of the matter is, we all go through this at some point. We all yeah. lose someone who's incredibly important to us. And the best way we can honor them is to find joy and to find love in those memories versus the, you know, beating ourselves with responsibility and anger and depression. Like your loved ones don't want you to go through that. <laughs> so, exactly. and, and you're going to have to, and, and I'm not saying you won't. And, and I think that's the important thing. And, and you speak to this well in your message as well is like, there's no shortcut to this. You, you know, you have to, you have to go through it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, to find ways that you can find the love and the joy through the pain and um, is such an important message. And I, and I can't thank you enough for sharing that. My pleasure. And I can't thank you both enough for you know, creating this opportunity for us to chat about this because it is so important. It really is. Right. Eric, any last? Yeah. Uh, Caddy, thank you so much. It, it is such an important topic. It's, you know, it's been for me something, you know, that I've been dealing with over the past, you know, couple of weeks and mm-hmm. coming to terms with that and, and just seeing even how differently I grieve now than I did, you know, 15 or 20 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, as I've changed for the better <laughs> as a, as a person. Um, and it's such an important topic with everything that we have going on around the globe now, not just COVID, but, you yeah. know, wars and, and, and everything else. So I can't thank you enough for being on and, uh, look forward to, uh, to having more discussions with you in the future. Thank you. And thank you both. And I hope that, um, you know, I hope that wherever your kitty is, he or Lincoln is looking down on us here and having a nice little purr. (laughs) Thank you. I'm sure he is. And and, and slightly judgmental purr because that's how cats look at you. Because we're their slaves. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And and it's a wonderful... We live in their universe. Yes, we do. Absolutely. Yes, we do. Yes. And and Lincoln's universe was definitely vast, expansive, and very much under his control. He's um, handed and, it off to his sister now, so she. Well, which is incredible. Yes. Like, and, and we've and Caddy, we, we've actually shared this over the past couple episodes. Like, Taylor has totally like stepped into the breach and even taken on some of um, her departed brother's personality traits and habits, which is incredible and bizarre, <laughs> um, and beautiful to see. So, um, and you know, it, it's a it's a great lesson, for lack of a better way of thinking about it, isn't it? Um, so Patty, thank you so much. And, um, I'm Mark Fernandes and on behalf of Eric DeRosa, my co-host, uh, we want to thank you all. And this was episode 66. And I will leave us with these words as I always do. Let's please all be as well as we can. Mm